Welcome to the One Life, One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morse. Today, I have a very, very special guest. One of my favorite humans. I haven't seen this guy in, feels like a couple of years since the last time we were on tour together. Um, Mr. Michael Schleibaum, but I, we like to call him Metal Mike. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me on here. What's your, what's your last name? Schleibaum. What is that? Schleibaum. It's German. It, Sick. It was mangled uh, by my ancestors who came over through Ellis Island. So it's not even the right spelling or the right pronunciation. It's not. But we're Americans. So that's say, how we say so it. So how do you say it? Schleibaum. Okay, but I don't Schleibom. even know if I'm saying it right. But mm. that's how I say it. Schleibaum. But I, I like Metal Mike. <laughs> Who came up with the yeah, Metal, Metal Mike? Metal Mike was just natural. Just happened right away on that tour we just recently Oh, it came did. from that tour? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Was that two years ago or a year ago? Oh, God. Okay, let's Seems do some so math. Long two ago, years man. ago. Summer of 2019. Yeah. Wow. See how we lost years. H to a battery sharp shark. Amazing. One of the best tours of my life. That was so fun, man. Yes. Just say like meeting you guys. I mean, we met a bunch of times in the past, but just like being on the bus and like, I don't know. It's just such a fun tour, man. Well, for me, I have been a touring musician for 25 years all along, just just trudged out. And that tour, not only was it an honor to do with H2O because I'm a huge fan, but it was what I needed to just remind me that like... Uh, like heavy metal saved my life, but hardcore saved my soul. You know mm. what I mean? Because like I'm a hardcore kid, but I was drawn to heavy metal guitar and out into the world. And then uh, my first real tour I ever did was with Battery in 1999, which was a European tour. So to have that come yeah. full circle and go back with all the experiences of traveling and the life on the road, but just go back and be again on a hardcore tour and remember what the difference is Yeah, and, and be shown that as an adult. And then, uh, not to digress but to see you handle that as a father with max and just welcoming fatherhood fatherhood into my life as a musician and stuff yeah there was just so many things that happened on that tour that kind of put into perspective now was like crucial and for a guy who's done a lot of tours yeah that's that's kind of interesting to say yeah man hell yeah it was special to me yeah oh you guys held it down man (laughs) me and andrew black you guys held it down man like troop like troopers like machines really yeah. appreciate that well we 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 one thing uh people don't realize about shared bus tours is that it's a lot of shared work yeah and um i have to admit before that tour i actually was on team no work i was on team like i'm too good to work or team i'm the headliner and i don't really work i just carry in one guitar and hang out mm. on the stage but uh as soon as that tour happened i just felt uh because i was younger which is not something that happens that often to me but also oh, yeah because i had so much respect not only for for you guys in H2O, but also for the guys in Sharp Shock, what they've done and other things, you know, other, yeah. other places outside of it. And then also everybody in Battery, like some of my closest friends and people that taught me, Ken Olden and Brian McTurnan basically taught me how a band operates. Yeah. And so I just felt like as soon as I got in there, you got to help every day, you mm-hmm. know? And then it dawned on me, what's been wrong with you for so long? Like this is actually what touring is like that hard work, that stuff. So the, you know, fun of loading stuff in and setting stuff up and getting crazy. Like, I don't know. I really embraced it again. And, yeah. and, and that energy flowed right back into darkest hour and the other stuff I did after that. And wow. I need to carry that on, but it's just proof that when you're around positive people, like you can make really positive impacts on your life. But if you continue to circle yourself with like, either people as decoration or uh mm. or kind of really fast relationships then you might miss some of that and your your life gets stagnant yeah you know so 
It was, a very re- it was a reflective uh, time. Humans as decorations. I never thought about that. Yeah. Well, I think of lyrics as decorations a lot. Okay. Like, I love H2O because that shit is no decoration. <laughs> I mean, it's all to the point, but it is also yeah. really poetic and uncatchy. So there is some decorate decorative aspects, but it has meaning. Mm. But when you live in the heavy metal world, so much content of the music is decoration that yeah. you start to forget the difference. Mm. You know, and so. I love that. I don't know. Let's, let's get into your life. You were born in Fairfax, Virginia. Oh, yeah. I'm a Virginia <laughs> suburban, Virginia rich kid. But really? I like to, well, not rich. I consider myself middle class. You know, I definitely had every access to anything I wanted to when I was a kid. Uh, I am a privileged white male in every way. And I'm, I've embraced that mm-hmm. was my where I was from and uh, and how I've been able to like change the view of the world from a lot of people I grew up with, yeah. especially my parents. I have a completely polar, unlike you and Max and this great relationship you guys have, I have a completely polar opposite worldview than my parents. And that is completely due to my experience with punk rock, hardcore. And seeing the world and just yeah. seeing different cultures. But yeah, I, yeah. I was easily born into a, a, a culture of where I could have been a lawyer. I could have gone to, you know, Ivy League school. I could have done whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, and my parents were not supportive of doing what I did. Yeah. But uh, so I think of my early life and growing up there as kind of being very confined you know, the suburbs. Yeah. And it wasn't until I found hardcore and a reason to go into the city and then life through hardcore music that I learned how sheltered I was when I, where I was born, but it was a very safe place to become an artist because to become an artist, you have to be a little sheltered and protected to be able to say, I'm going to dedicate time to art and not survival. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had both of those things going for me. You have siblings too. I have a younger brother and younger sister who are 10 years younger than me. Okay, so wow. by the time they showed up, I'm a babysitter. I got a truck. I put wow. straight edge stickers all over that motherfucker, <laughs> dude. It said X straight edge X across the front of my first truck in wow. big letters you can buy from Home too. Depot. Oh, yeah, I can get them. Uh, we called it the Hunter's Edge. And uh, because we were also all vegan, okay, wow, by the way, edge, yeah. because we were super, the, the besides Battery, the second band we were all into was Earth Crisis. So, nice. like, decorated my truck. Anyway, uh. <laughs> you know, I, how old were you then? When well, you de- when I got into Earth Crisis, it was right before I started driving, so 15. And okay, then okay. as soon as I got that truck, Earth Crisis stickers, snap case, integrity. And how did you find out about that growing up? What you did was it wasn't through your younger brother's oh, no, sister, no, no, obviously. No, no. Um, Somebody you met. Or origin something. point. Well, the origin to har- well, uh, I would trace that back to the one of the drummers of Battery, Jason Hammaker, who was also in the band Frodus, was a great friend of mine in oh, high Frodus, school. Yeah. Um, and he had his band Frodus was playing shows, and my band uh, WD40 was playing shows. That's on my list of one of your bands. Oh, yeah. God, it's a and, sick uh, name. Yeah, oh yeah, we were pretty bad Pantera style ripoff. That was really bad. <laughs> in fact, our hit song "Penny in the Butter" was actually supposed to be called <laughs> "Penny in the Gutter," but there was a misprint, and nobody ever knew, and so it was just called <laughs> "Penny in the Butter." Anyway, uh, we started playing around town, and and um just like shows where you'd make flyers, almost like a stupid microcosm of what hardcore was without knowing it existed, right? Gotcha. And then uh, my friend Jason one day was like, "Hey man, you should check out this band Battery. They they play straight edge hardcore." And he mm. gave me a tape cassette, and it said X Battery X, which is funny, right? And um, I put it in, and that was only the Die Hard Remain. Wow. And I needed that record. And so I got hip to a used record store that 
people were putting flyers up to get people to come to their band. Because exactly. at this point, I only loved the big five, like Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax, and Pantera. That was like your it. shit, yeah. And then, because I loved guitar and heavy metal, but I didn't know about punk and hardcore. And so it was through that battery tape that I learned about straight edge hardcore, and they, they became my heroes. And I mean, I am wow. literally telling the story of the guy whose favorite hardcore band, and he got to play in. Sick. You know? And um, on then, then though, the straight edge thing led me to Fugazi because they played for free in the park, in this park called Fort Reno. Yeah. Um, and so very young, I'm standing, very young in my metal hardcore years, I'm standing in the Fort Reno park wearing a Pantera shirt. You know what I mean? I remember meeting Amanda McKay, Ian's younger sister there, yeah. who's a longtime friend of mine. Me too, I met a lot of really cool uh, long-term friends who are part of the whole like Discord world that I never would have had uh, mm. access to if I hadn't known about that park where just free shows happen. Wow! So between Fort Reno Park, which is where I where I saw Fugazi play and should have paid a lot more attention, like oh my god, if. You knew what I was doing when they were playing those epic shows. That's so embarrassing. But <laughs> I soaked it in, and I soaked in battery, and so I will try to get to the point. No, it's all good. My first fucking hardcore show, I mean, my real hard, real hardcore show was Undertow, Unbroken, uh, Mouthpiece. Well, maybe Mouthpiece. Mouthpiece played every show, so it might have been Damnation AD played mm. three songs, and uh, Frodus opened up, and I was the roadie. Wow. And that was the first time I met Mike DC. That was the first time I met Ken Olden. You know, it was the first time I met... Uh, Brian might actually not have been at that show, but it was the first time I met the McTurnans, you yeah. know? It was like the first time I met John Hennessy, longtime hardcore, uh, Martin Castro, who was doing show. I mean, literally every yeah. person who would go on to shape th the 90s for me, I met on one day in wow. the summer. And uh, John Pettibone from from him. Yeah, later, yeah. you know, he was so uh, and and on that same day learned learned at one moment that heavy metal and hardcore could come together, mm. you know, and yeah. they didn't have to be different. Like yeah. I could like music that might sound like Pantera, but it didn't need to be about the shit Pantera was singing about. Good point. And then all of a sudden everyone else got the same idea and then Destroy the Machines came out and oh, it yeah. like spoke right to me. So that was sort of in a microcosm. Yeah my trip from Van Halen fan to <laughs> dude who had every unbroken record. Yeah. You know, which wasn't that many at the time. But what, what got you into playing guitar and how you and that ACDC and MTV. But I didn't have those things mm. at my house. I had to go to my, my parents are very religious. Okay. So very strict. Uh, I think because I was willing to babysit, they gave me a lot of autonomy. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, and also because what I was into was like about not drinking. Mm -hmm. They kind of were okay with that. Although they, my mom was convinced straight edge was like a cult. Yeah. The X thing was terrible. Mm. That it was evil, you know, and she hated the vegan thing. She like wow. totally didn't get it. And then I remember when I introduced her to Chinese food, she thought it was crazy. Really? And now my daughter, her favorite food is just vegetarian sushi. Wow. My mom was a gasp when I brought home <laughs> Chinese food. That's crazy, man. Yeah, because she was from upstate New York and never had Chinese food. And uh, wow. I, she was also a Catholic nun for a decade. Oh, wow. So she had been really sheltered during her teenage in 20s, you know? Okay. So uh, uh, it was a strange reality I was living a in. A nun. That's nuts, man. And also the singer of Be Well and Battery Brian, his mom had also been a nun. That's right. And so it wasn't like I was even that 
different than people I literally knew had nuns yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this whole mom being all up in your religious life was very common in a lot of my friends who were into yeah. hardcore. And so, you know, I had a, a lot of friends I could look to to sort of lead me out of that world and into my new family, which I related to a lot more. Yeah. You know. And what did you want to do when you got out of high school? Play fucking heavy metal. Play in my band called Darkest Hour because we started in high school. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah. So yeah. I had a, I, uh, this is interesting. We signed a record deal to MIA Records, Darkest Hour did in yep. 199, or maybe it was a 2000. And we were going to put out our debut full length record, The Mark of the Judas. And I was in college because okay. I had made a deal with my parents that I could move out of the house and I could go do the band thing as long as I got a job which was being a bike messenger, which, by the way, is was the best fucking job I ever had that wasn't being in a band. Mm. And I moved in with John, the lead singer of Darkest Hour, in a one-bedroom apartment. I slept in the front room. He slept in the back room. And I went to college in uh, Virginia, and so I would take the train out on Tuesdays and Thursdays and stack all of my classes. Wow. And then that would leave Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and Saturday and Sunday to play shows, do band thing, or work on the you know work on the bike and get money mm-hmm. and that's basically what i did up in you know for two years and then we signed ma record mia records and i was like fuck it i'm dropping out of school <laughs> fuck it quitting my job so that summer we went on tour with thrash metal legends destruction dude wow. we had it we were direct support for destruction we were putting out our <laughs> debut record on maa records so i went to the phone booth and i called my dad and i said i'm dropping out the of school phone booth I put in a quarter. I said, "Hey, I'm not. I'm not registering. Uh, the registration deadline's coming up. You know, save your money. Like, I'm not going back. Like, I'm the band thing is. I'm gonna do that. And oh, they were fucking pissed. I'm sure, thing. man. And then uh, two days later, we went out to eat with a record label, and they told us that record label's gone out of business. Uh, they were being uh, sec- basically put out by a business by the IRS because they'd just been a tax shelter for a rich dude in Katy, Texas." And what? not only were they going out of business, but the record was going to come out with zero promotion and it was going to ship nowhere. So basically no one was going to be able to re-release it because there was a UPC created and it was going to sit. So Mark of the Judas <laughs> came out, but didn't go anywhere. Holy shit. So you really quit school too. Wow. I didn't quit school. Okay. I went home two days later and registered because we didn't. Oh, shit. Okay. In that moment might have saved my musical career that I did go back to college. Okay. Because what happened was the band regrouped I went back to college. I got my degree, which later on is super important to me. Yeah. But also, uh, we wrote our next record, signed to Victory Records, which was an embattled relationship, but definitely did do a lot to propel the band into the national spotlight. Yeah. And it was just long enough for us to pick up our next bass player, solidify the group. And so uh, in the long arc of my story, that terrible moment was much needed because had I dropped out of school, failed, would yeah, have easily man. ended up somewhere else, you know? Yeah. Holy shit. So what year would that be? Well, that would have been 2000. Okay. 2001, um, So Sedated, So Secure came out, and that was a full-time touring musician from that moment until right now. To right now, right? Yeah. And what about these other bands? So my Best Mistake. Oh, yeah. Sick uh, band. Indivision, Astoria, oh. The Bradshaw well, you Express. Just, oh, God. Well, you cannot put... <laughs> First of all, that is the <laughs> fucked up thing about the internet. Dude, you cannot put these... Sp- Bands in the same sentence ever again. Okay, the Bradshaw Express was uh, Bradshaw Express was a made-up glam rock band that we did one time to troll a local heavy metal arena. Well, this is that, a great story. That, okay, so I'm just gonna try to tell it as fast as possible. But 
<laughs> we hated that venues made local bands sell tickets. Oh, yeah, that's true. We were fucking at war with that's it, true. man. I still hate the pay-for-play thing that's gnarly, yeah. so much. And anyone out there who doesn't know what I'm talking about, basically it means that uh, when opening bands uh, play for bigger bands, they have to sell tickets. And this happens yep. to uh, Darkest Hour openers, unfortunately, and it's mm. just an industry thing. It, it, it's so hard to control, and I've been at a battle with them. Whole, anyway, we hated this one venue. They would never let local bands play. We would play at the VFW Hall down the street and crush it, two, 300 people. Wow. So one night on prom night, we booked the biggest show ever at the Concert Cave in Manassas, Virginia. And anyone out there in Virginia knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> the Concert Caves where all the death metal went down, okay. but occasionally they took advantage of everybody else. So we booked a big show, told them Bradshaw Express was going to show up, and then no one did but the band. And the oh dude was... So sad. Wow, man. That's and it worked. It was prank. awesome. Uh, but it was kind of endearing because uh, at the end when he was super pissed because we played to nobody and nobody showed up and we played the set and everything, he tried to <laughs> give us pointers on how maybe it was a bad idea to book the show on prom night. Wow, And man. we were like, well, anyway. Uh, Where did the name come from, the Bradshaw Express? Uh, one of the dudes was named Brandon Bradshaw. Okay, stupid. okay. <laughs> uh, okay, and then I can't even believe I told that story. I'm embarrassed. Your no, time is not worth it. But, but, but. Indivision was my second real band, and uh, we only put out a tape cassette, and we only played one show, and that was with Brothers Keeper. Oh, shit, nice, Mike Ski. And uh, Mouthpiece, and I'll never forget, Brothers Keeper was super pissed because we had a double bass drum kit, mm. and they like had to rebuild a sonar, which anybody who knows that has its own unique hardware build system. <laughs> They were so pissed. They like saw what Strike we had. the drums or whatever, yeah. No, no, we played first. And we were like, you oh, can use shit. our kit. And oh, the guy wow. was like, the guy from Brothers Keeper was like, what the fuck? Fuck, we can't use it. It was like the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> so then we broke up. But then my best mistake is an awesome band I did with John from Darkest Hour, uh, Brian McTernan from Battery. Oh, and uh, this was the first band I did with Brian after he moved back from Boston. And the drummer was, we actually had uh, Petey, his brother, playing drums okay. and I think yeah Andrew Black may have played drums at some point in the band too I can't remember it was so long ago we ah, he'll kill me but I think it might have just been Petey but we played some good shows yeah but it didn't really go anywhere but we have an awesome EP that I would love to have released it's so good so I it never it. came out wow uh, it came out on limited CD uh, okay. to like 500 but I could it, it's a great record and I've been trying to convince Brian to to put it out but yeah. because we've been doing be well and because that yeah. has a certain thing i don't know how that plays but um there was one other band you asked a story now a story was pd brian's little brother's band and they were emo and they were awesome okay now i didn't play on the record but i loved it so i played a bunch of shows with them until they imploded and it was like uh 90s style emo like chamberlain okay you know and it, I, that cassette is good though the okay. thing is they, a story was so good and so real. I mean, written in the the attic of the guy from Ash's house. Wow, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. Brian's. You know, they're just like really emo, man. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I and played, that came out. No, it came out on tape cassette. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, but then uh, I joined Battery, did that tour, and it was pretty much full on. Darkest Hour was my life until mm. until we did the Battery reunion. Yeah, and uh, and um, then we sort of started dabbling with doing that again. Did yeah. the tour with you? Did you play on some of the battery records? Man, I have actually never played on a record. Wow. Um, I played on a live recording, but the truth is that I think it's really hard when you when I'm like a super fan. Okay. So as a super fan, you're like, do I want to color 
the sound of my favorite band. Mm-hmm. Like for me, like Ken, what he does, and then what Brian does, and whatever happens, that's battery is so good. Like I don't know if I want to bring my sensibilities into it. Like let it yeah. be. Like as a creative dude who's in a band and is the impetus of a lot of songs. I hate it when people get in the way. I like okay. it when they have good ideas. So I just stay out of the way of battery until I, you know, yeah. I have something positive because I love it. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be to the disservice of the band if it wanted to grow. Yeah. But I think because battery is in a position where it's more of a celebrating what it is to achieve maximum realness. Yeah. So, um, Wow. I never really uh, was on a, on a battery record, but I was a part of the newest song that was recorded for Revelation. I was there at the session. Yeah. And, and um, you know, uh, I guess song, I yeah. might sound like a dude who's making excuses for himself, but sometimes there's a, a way to be involved that's just a little more spiritual. Mm-hmm. Like you're maybe the, the personality that is loud, but then gets quiet so that everybody can come together and, you know, and yeah. so with battery, as you know, doing the tour, like I have a super loud personality. Yeah. Uh, but those guys are sort of my elders. So it's weird. In a sense. Yeah. It's yeah, weird yeah. to be that little dog barking around everybody, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. uh, say so it put, puts you into perspective, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that kind of comes out in the, the relationship of the band. Yeah. So, so you were touring straight with darkest hour pretty much from, Early 90s on? 90, okay, so let's think about this. From 19, no, from 2001 to 2021, I only toured with Darkest Hour 12, 12 months a year, except okay. for, except for I did one stint as the fill-in guitar player for Unearth oh, for one sh- tour wow. with Soulfly, which was a, a, was a joy Damn. to just do something different. And then I also uh, did the battery shows. We did yep. the reunion stuff. And then I put a lot of hard work into Be Well and trying to make that a band. Be and well that great, has been man. like a three-year, I don't know how long that process has been. I mean, if you count back to when I've been trying to push Brian off the click, it's, cliff, it's a long time. <laughs> and then I also spent a lot of time recording. Like I basically started interning at Brian's Salad Day Studio. Yeah. And I just spent a lot of time. In 2006, right? Yeah, I spent a lot of time with my creative energy from there. Were you producing or like helping produce or? Well, kind of a little bit of everything, but let's be honest here on the old podcast. Brian always did everything good and I just tried to learn the whole time. Yeah, he was, yeah. And he was never, it was, he was always involved and it, w- everything we did together for bands, like I produced a Dead to Fall record on Victory. Yeah. I produ- produced a, a couple other things. Autumn through, to Ashes? Yeah. From Autumn, well, I didn't produce that, but I wrote some songs for that, but that was because Brian okay. left me in with that and uh, I don't know if I possess all of the perfect qualities to be a lifelong producer, but that experience was yeah. crucial to my overall goal to be where I'm at now, which is a guy who just does bands for a living. Yeah. So I'm very All the ins and outs that. of being in the band, too, yeah. behind the scenes, everything. Yeah. And Brian is sort of that older brother that I never really had because he's always there, especially creatively first, tell me the tough things like we've darkest hours produced three records with him and he was always brutally honest about what could be better and he was always right about shit and as i watched him with everybody else on salad days just it was like he had a rule book of all the right answers to all the song problems you had you know and after a while that personality and that relationship kind of extended into like helping me manage crises with the band or with my life or he was like one of the only people who understood that I wanted to just be in a band 
for a living, mm-hmm. but not trade everything about life to do that, you know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I um, love that. Balance I learned it all. Yeah. And so I learned probably way more about being in a band and way more about being in life from that experience at Solid Eyes than I did about how to totally run a session just because I was maybe paying attention more to that stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And then you graduated with um, a bachelor's of science degree in social work. Yeah. That's amazing, man. Didn't do anything with it. It did. <laughs> but uh, I did. I did. I had a lot of internships before that was over. And yeah. uh, I, uh, when I explained to people like what I did on those internships, it's like sounds really cool. I can't believe I did them. Like I was the intake counselor at the Whitman Walker AIDS Clinic for people who had recently found out that they had HIV. Wow. Along with some other people who were living with HIV, and I co-ran a group counseling session, and it was brutal. I can't even imagine. And then I then I was uh, the teacher of a chess uh, club for kids who were basically in a lot of trouble. And uh, I didn't know anything about chess. And I didn't know anything about working with these kids. But mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my internship, you know? Wow. And I had another one where I was the counselor at a uh, special needs school where people have more mental uh, disabilities in Washington, D.C. And that was easier for me to navigate just because that was more of like a school environment. But yeah. I just never fit in because I lacked the ability to have any uh, sort of authority. I had started mm. covering myself in tattoos. I looked yep. wild. I was not willing to conform to the way people wanted me to look because I wanted to be in a band. And it was yeah. directly at war with my college. So everything <laughs> I did in college, every bad review I got from a, from an internship was basically because... I just wouldn't commit to like not looking like some heavy metal freak. Mm, no conform to what they wanted. Yeah. But I, uh, you know, you learn a lot about teams and processes and, and forgiving people and admitting you're wrong and all sorts of shit when you study social work that you need when you're in a band. So I'm sure that's so heavy, man, dealing with all that stuff, man. I can't even imagine. It is. And I wish I could remember. So I don't take the bullshit that we all argue about when we're in bands and creative situations mm. so seriously, but it, yeah. That experience is a little too far away in my brain, but it's nice to, it's nice to talk about it again, but yeah, doing real work with people is is important and it, it gets lost when you are a guy in a band. That's yeah. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you ever want to do that kind of work again? Well, I always I always felt like the main problem with this is you need to be as committed to be a, being good at a social worker as you do being in a, at a, as in a band like that's true i need to have that final will that inner power yeah. that inner burning needs to uh go directly to want to do that uh somebody brought this uh, up to me recently like that the root of the word motivation is motive mm. right and that's like because that. like why you do like why you do something will usually motivate you to do it so like what is your motive for doing something? Well, it's because if you want it, then you'll do it. Then you're motivated. That's what the word means, right? So for me, uh, I just have tried to focus on like, why do I want to get up at 6 a.m. and practice sweeping <laughs> arpeggios? Because I fucking love playing guitar. Mm. The problem is that that's what I love doing. That's where my happiness is. It's not in helping people understand what the, what they think they need to do to propel their life in a positive direction in a way that in a counseling, the subjective counseling situation. And yeah. so therefore, if you can't put your foot on the gas in the position, don't fuck up someone's life by being a half-assed social worker. That's you know true, what I mean? Too. Because yeah, it's bold. So you there. have to be committed because when you let people down in a social work position, and this is definitely something that I learned from both the classes and the experience, it is real world 
real world guilt and repercussions. I'm sure. So uh, you got to be Long ready to step in that fire. And so when I do step into a position uh, where I do have to negotiate something where I pull on my skills of communication, I do realize that it's like kind of like when you pull out a gun. You know, you need to be prepared to use what you're doing and prepared to pay attention and prepared to give it your all emotionally. Yeah. Even that means coming with some hard questions about yourself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I think it's more, that's why I know this is where I, I belong. You know, my yeah. OCD, my insanity won't let me be happy anywhere else. And I'm thankful for it. Yeah. Because a, a lot of people are lost and don't know what they want. 100%. I know exactly what I fucking want. <laughs> you play guitar like every day, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, that's a weird question. Well, every single some people don't. Though. I don't know. Every single day. Well, maybe that maybe that's better. I do think uh there's a little bit to be said to, you know, <laughs> not ending up on the extremes of anything. But yeah. for me, uh you know, I tell people do what you love every day. And for yeah. me, uh playing guitar, it it works my brain. I love to see the arc of my playing. I love to be able to communicate faster as a musician and I'm addicted to it. And it's like anything else. Like, uh, it's, I'm just lucky that I'm a simple person mm -hmm. with only a few hobbies that I enjoy because yeah, it's hard when you don't have enough and it's hard when you have too many and it's just hard for a lot of people to focus. And I, I've been blessed with the insanity of focus. Yeah. So you've been in darkest hour for how many years now? 26. Damn. 26. Same as me. 95, yeah, September same as me. 23rd. Same as me. That's crazy, dude. First time I saw H2O was 1999. Where was that at? Fans Warp Tour. Oh, shit. RFK Stadium, whatever? Kenny in a way. Wow. Yeah, played Marshallman with us. Yeah, holy shit. That was 99, damn. That was awesome. <laughs> Maybe it was 97, actually. I was Googling yeah, it. Yeah, it, must yeah, be it was 97. Right. I remember now. Because I was Googling over here. I was like, I don't know. I just changed the subject. I should have done no, that. But I just though. thought about it. Yeah. Like, I just thought about that, in that reference show. of what we were saying. Yeah. So. Um, and then, and why did, I put that in reference to what we're saying, because to me, darkest hour and H2O are not the same age. Okay. Because to me, H2O was like a band, like a real band of real shit. Like in darkest hour was like not even a real band in 2002. Like we were okay. not, but I'm sure other people have perspectives of what's a real band is, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But for me, like the way that I saw H2O and what you guys were doing and how you were so a part of the hardcore community that existed in new york and everything and how i learned about your band in conjunction with everything else yeah it's so hard for me to hear the see the h2o instagram posts of your anniversary and go god damn my band can't be that old but you know <laughs> well you know everybody's yeah, got you're younger too I mean, you started way younger yeah for sure i mean so i didn't I, start my band so i was 26 yeah oh yeah you started yeah. way after that yeah, yeah. It's pretty crazy. People start bands so young now, too, man. I know. But, Dad, that's so magical that you were able to do that. Though. It is pretty wild, man. Um, what about this askthedude.net? Ask is that still a website? Whoa, dude. You're getting raw. No. Um, <laughs> so I had... Is I had it like, this, a, like a bio? Okay, check this I had this experience. I had this, I had this idea. I wanted to write a book. Okay, but I'm not good at writing. So I think you write a great book, man. Okay, but... Had a good idea. My idea, I'm going to throw it out here. Yeah. Okay. Anybody who wants to do this can do it, but I'm not sure how you're going to do it without uh, the unique perspective that I'm going for here. <laughs> okay. So you're going to have to pay me to be involved, but I don't want to write because I can't spill anything. My point is my idea was this. I wanted to use the social work perspective of looking at families and turn it on looking at bands. Okay. Mm. And I wanted to use a lot of the terminology and a lot of the way they break down 
family structure and the way families communicate and the way family counseling works with way bands communicate, but not in a some kind of monster way. Oh, uh, okay. More in a way that help is preventative. I love okay? that. I wanted to figure out like, how do you teach people, okay, that being in a band is ugly, but that's okay. That the obstacle is the way, if you will. Like that problems lead to solutions. Having no problems is a major problem. Mm. <laughs> Having no problems might be the biggest problem, you know? Yeah. Because pro- no problems means no growth in anything you do. Great point. You know? So I was trying to figure out how do you bridge the gap between social work theory, loosely, whatever it is, and getting into the microcosm of the way bands work when they're all so different? Totally. And families are so different. And it's possible 100%. that the perspective that I was learning in college about social work and families is totally skewed by uh, race perspective, financial perspective. You know, there's a lot of acad- academia that says that things that were studied 10 years ago are not valid based on a lot of different perspectives. Okay. But let's just say that you could take the basics and you could apply them to both worlds, right? Yeah. So then I started hypothesizing how to do this and sketching out how I could explain it in a way that like people who don't like social work could understand what are the what are these tools and yeah. ingest them and get them, you know, and I think if you told a band person like, hey, you know how you spend a shitload of time driving to band practice? Like all of that time, what if you just spent a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of that time learning how to communicate with people in a band? Like spend time dedicated to learning how communication works. Yeah. Like, I mean, why not? We spend, uh, we all spend time learning to figure out how to fucking tag people on Instagram, Facts. how to do shit on Facebook, how to do shit on Twitter, how to make some new fucking video, how to Twitch, how to monetize on Patreon, how to make a fucking podcast. <laughs> yeah. What about like learning that, d- that thing that, that will be the most valuable thing? Because if you can create a culture inside your band where problems can be talked about and people feel safe, then I collaborative ideas happen and collaborative ideas are being destroyed by the computer and the way people make music now, mm. because it's so easy to get away from the dirty truth of collaboration that people fear it. So in a nutshell, that one, how do I get into all this? And so what I started doing was this was before social media because yeah. social media kind of destroyed the connectivity of this. Yeah. I started a website called ask the dude. And the idea was, I have a social work degree and I've been in a band. Are you in a band and do you have a problem mental health wise or uh, band communication wise that you want to submit to me anonymously that I'll change all the words about and then I'll write and I'll post publicly. So that way maybe uh, if you like are having a really tough time, you can see the answer, but everyone else who's afraid to ask can see the answer. You know what I mean? Mm. And so I worked awesome. But it was like a lot of work, but it's not like I got a lot of like fame from it or notoriety or whatever. It's not like I got a bunch of hits or a bunch of ad money. What I mean by it worked awesome. You might now. Is that website still up? I don't know. I don't know. Such a it great, was as the dude.net too. It wasn't even .com. It's such a great concept, man. Uh, it's well, so awesome. well, well, so what was interesting about it is I still this to this day, like on the last battery tour, met someone who I wrote to from Ask the Dude who still remembers it and who's still thankful with some thing about staying in school or dropping out of school, doing a band or some shit. Yeah. I told them that they definitely had to stay in school and do the band and, you know, to be a well-balanced person, you got to do both that type of shit. And this person couldn't thank me enough and like took me to the bar, 
got a ton of Jack Daniels out of that situation. <laughs> and my, my point is that I, I kind of, it was easy for me to get because it didn't happen all the time, but I got a lot of positive reinforcement over doing just a little with that. Well, the site didn't get a lot of traction, but then I tried something even stupider, Tell which me. was asked to do live. So then Back I tried... Yeah. Wow. And okay. it was fucking I, I bet if you go back, you could probably find that blabbermouth post. You would have to dig hard as fuck. But we did a whole press relief press release where I was gonna do Ask the Dude live on tour and we would set aside a time, like the way all these kids do now, yeah. where they uh play uh you know, set us you know, get t- 20 minutes and get a guitar lesson with Joe Schmo or get a VIP meet and mm-hmm. greet. Mine was like, get 30 minutes and tell me about what's fucked up with your band and let's just talk about it. Nobody needs to know about it. And then I'm just going to give you some fucked up advice based on what I think and try to just help you out. Yeah. And and it was free. It wasn't like a thing I was yeah. charging for. It was literally, the idea was get in the dirt, get in the mud, find out what are the what are the problems facing people? What are the communication issues and, and get in there. And so I did it. I did it. I had uh, one or two people every night, you know, and, and it was so cool because people were so shocked that the whole thing we were doing was just like talking. No, I love that, man. I mean, I think it's, be, I have it's super time, actually it fucks. Well, maybe, or it just fucks with the whole dichotomy of what a rock star is like, Hey, yeah. I have time to talk about you. Who are you? Like, mm-hmm. I love, I mean, although I am just as guilty as anyone else who is, you know, says that they're a rock star and can verbalize <laughs> that sentence. Uh, but I, I love to ask people when I meet, when they ask for my autograph or meet me, what's your name? You yeah, know what I mean? And then, and then if I'm ever with them for more than a second, I always ask, ask them, what do you do? Where are you from? Mm-hmm. I like to, to, to meet people. And that is yeah. directly from the Safari Club, Washington, D.C., all that stuff where you would play. And then you get off the stage and then you go eat some vegan food, some dude made on the back counter in a crock pot. You talk to some guy about fucking Krishna, which was weird as fuck. And then some other dude who's wearing construction gloves with an X on, which like, why are you doing? It was just a weird place. But you learn that 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 it isn't like a Van Halen video. It's not. And it, you know what? You Singers can, at the merch booth. Yeah, you can make it. A, you can make your life a Van Halen video, mm-hmm. but it's not nearly as cool as looking at everybody in that crowd as a potential friend. Yeah. You know? So that's, that was the crux of ask the dude. And, uh, it just sort of fizzled and, you know, and I think a lot of why it fizzled out was that we were not, we were not in the warp tour headspace. We were in the Ozfest headspace. We're in a Mm. macho, we were macho, tough, dark, uh, brooding place where, you know, maybe don't want your aggressive, uh, artists showing you that they have a side like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe that's not what sells and maybe that's not the look, but that's the dichotomy that we were going for because that to me is what I learned from hardcore. I love that you brought into that space too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's what darkest hour has always been about though. On top of just bringing, uh, sort of those kind of things into that space. Also the idea that like every song could be about politics. Every, we could have songs about, uh, other things that are uh, gentrification in a neighborhood, Mm -hmm. you know, but in a death metal song, you know? Yeah. And then the other thing is we could tour with cursive. We could tour with anti-flag. You know what I mean? We could do all sorts of different, uh, you know, we could go play with thrice and then go play with cannibal corpse and be totally respected in both places. Yeah. You know, and to be able to do that and then also not necessarily look the way everybody thought, um, you know, it was kind of like 
if you can show people you can be strange in a place where they don't feel that way, then maybe they realize that they're strange also. We're all strange. The doors were right. and That's how we all know each other. Yeah, that's how we all meet, you know, through all this, yeah. you know. So you've been doing, so that's your full-time thing as a musician. And that's your dreams and now you're living it. Uh, well, I, I, I should say my full-time thing is a dad. Of course. <laughs> that's a life changer. But I'm thankful for it. But then, yes, yes. And you I'm, balance it all, though. Oh, well, they're very supportive. I'm, yeah. I'm, I, although I didn't find that love and support in my immediate family, in my mm. new family, in the family I chose, uh, we're the, the Schley Wieners. You know, we are, <laughs> my wife is in television. Uh, shout out to Sari, who has been the only person around Darkest Hour longer than John Henry, the singer at this point. Wow. Um, and she, she's your rock. She's been for a long oh time. yeah. And she supported the band, uh, financially and spiritually at times, you know what I mean? And Sounds she's, like my wife, mm. and, 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 and she's been there when like, there's nobody else and you're just like, and everyone else around you, even like some of your friends are like, dude, this shit is shot. You got to give up. And she's mm. been there like, well, no, you know? And the other thing is like, she's that. also more of a rock star than me because she makes badass TV. So recently her company made uh, the secrets of the whales on oh, Disney shit. Plus, and it is some of the most amazing footage of I'm whales. Watch that. You need, you I all need whales. to see it. The sperm whale footage of them sleeping upright is amazing, and I think they got the first ever footage ever on film of a, a baby uh, whale nursing. Okay, it Holy is uh, James Cameron. Love him. Either is involved somehow, um, and then they also did another show about penguins, the rise of the penguins. I'm gonna see um, that. Oh, wait, no. Was it Penguin Shore? Damn, she's going to be mad. <laughs> they keep changing the name of the Penguin There's Show. There's a lot of Penguin ones. But this is the most important Penguin one, okay? And so anyway, she is a creative. That's And so she's cool. a rock. And uh, so it's... And my daughter, who's 10, uh, you know, she grew up around me volunteering over at the School of Rock and going to That's hardcore cool. shows and punk shows. And so unlike Max, where he's like embraced his love for it, yeah. she has embraced a slight indifference for it. But... I, I'm, you know, from a person who grew up with his parents always telling him what to think, I yeah. I don't want her to think that she needs to love what I love. I agree. You know? But I do want her to know that she's wearing a Dave Lee Roth shirt every time she goes to bed. <laughs> <laughs> like, that she is. Yeah. Like, who is Dave Lee Roth? Yeah. Like, this is what he sounds like. And when I'm dead, play this song at my funeral. Yeah. You know what I mean? That yeah. type of thing. But... <laughs> Uh, you never know, man. Uh, I didn't even find heavy metal or music until way late. So you don't know what she's going to find. I mean, not just, I mean, Max obviously loves H2O and Hazen Street and Abel and stuff that he's grew up around, but he's not the biggest Harker person people think he is. Obviously he knows the classics Ramones, Dead Candy's Clash, stuff like that. But he's listening to like, uh, Death, um, Cow, something for a cowboy, fit yeah. for a cowboy. Job for a cowboy. Job for a cowboy. Black Dahlia murder. Yeah. He likes Slipknot. Dude, I, I spent autopsy. a lot of time. Yeah, Max has all, what he I loves love. all that stuff. I love yeah. his philosophy. His, his viewpoint on music is so cool because it would have been so easy for him to adopt the most elitist outlook on music based yeah. on his access to knowledge from you. Mm. But instead, he had Rend. Yeah, which was a genre blending, just totally <laughs> yeah, like totally. crazy out there pushing thing, which is great. That's what Your kids should do, I man. Know. It was so I great. know that he's no longer doing that band, but you know what, dude? Nobody does their band when they're, you know, in high school. Well, I guess I do, but some people do. <laughs> Most people don't. School. Exactly. Um, that's a, that's a yeah, I loved Rand. It was just so, 
different. You know what I mean? Like he's like, you ever heard of this Mr. Bungo? You heard of like these different bands? I'm like, yeah, of course I heard of these bands. Like, I love that he could make you feel like it was different because I know you liked this great. That's, I know that is what it's about. I want to be standing in a room going, what the fuck is this? I definitely also want to be yeah. standing in a room going, I love this. So yeah, true. But too. I want both, but I, de- I definitely want both. No, yeah. not just one. Does your daughter like? Does she play music too, or like? Um, she plays a few songs that she learned at, when I was forcing her to go to classes. Uh, mm. She loves musicals. Okay, she loves the Hamilton soundtrack. That's which it. Which is yeah. hilarious because there's so much like bad, so many bad words in it. You mm. know, and it's funny because, but I know but this is so amazing because she has a totally awesome relationship with hip hop. Okay, my daughter thinks that hip hop is a regular, normal genre of music that existed right along with classical and is completely valid form of storytelling because she loves Hamilton. Hamilton's about presidents. Hamilton is respected as a Broadway show. And so when I put on KRS one, she totally gets it. And when I put on like uh, she loves that run the jewel song gold G O L D, you know, she gets hip hop as storytelling and it's amazing. It's strange, but like, Although the racial, there's some racialness about hip hop that's hard for her to grasp. You know, like yeah. why can NWA say things that she's been taught definitely not to say? True. The shit she never wants her parents to say. 100%. You know, why can artists say that? But I think growing up in a house where you have death metal playing 24 stop, you know, nonstop downstairs, you know, the basement smells like marijuana all the time. I mean, you kind of <laughs> get used to like the fact that shit's not different over here but like maybe yeah. it's better to be around honest people than people that hide everything you know mm. so we we talk about the tough things in the house and we listen to music as storytelling and sometimes you hear shit you don't agree with you know yeah. I, I i tell people i i feel like uh with heavy metal i have to put up with racism and with hip-hop i have to put up a little homophobia and sexism mm-hmm. i mean there's all a sexism and everything but like yeah but every genre pushes up against some little weird tinge of uh thing that i got going on come i guess maybe being li- living in the area where i live and being around the, the community i'm in yeah but i've learned to like you know as a as a as a fan i don't have to love everything that everyone says you know what i mean yeah <laughs> i love leonard skinner but do you you could probably not put me in a room with them and i would end up in an argue with them with sure. pretty fucking fast but i love those <laughs> albums you know and yeah. that's okay with that like i don't need to know that they saw the world the same way you know that's and a it good might point. that might change the 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 idea of why would i wear a leonard skinner shirt or be photographed in something maybe i might think of something that way but definitely not enjoying the music or something mm. you know what i mean yeah so, it's uh, yeah fuck it's a good point especially the storytelling stuff that she sees it as that and we, we also do, too. That's why we attracted to it as well, because a lot of the punk rock we listen to is telling stories about their lives, too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And oh, pub- yeah. Public Enemy came and changed everything with that. And and there's and there's a lot of positive, awesome, intelligent rap, yeah. like hip-hop. Like, you you don't have to, like, b- blast, you know, hit him up by Tupac in front of your kid if you yeah. want to show her <laughs> hip-hop. You know, I got it. I got it. It's true. I got a dad's playlist and then a kid in the car mm. hip-hop playlist. You know what I mean? So how so that changed your life becoming a father like with your career and stuff? Was it a big change uh, for you? Yeah, I think for me what it was was I always thought it would be the death of my career and it really was the say like in a lot of ways what well, wasn't the savior but it was the um rebirth. 
linchpin, man. Mm. Because, you know, it wasn't like it was dying, but it was like that thing that locked everything into place. Got hard. you. Okay, because at first I thought, oh, uh, well, that you're going to have to give up a lot to do that. But what I didn't realize is that you would get so much more back and you don't have to give up everything, right? So you just True. have to decide what's fucking important. You know, is fucking around all day and doing, just doing bullshit important? Or is just like learning about discipline and learning how to take care of another human being more important? And in, in, in a real trippy fucking kind of way, if you think about it, if you want to be an artist, you yeah. know, you need to go through stuff, yeah. right? So like, I didn't realize, but like having a kid and becoming a dad has helped me like relate to the world in a way that has helped me interject that in my art that has helped me grow Mm. to a new place. And had I not looked that in the face also with my relationship with my wife, like we had a long, long relationship and I'm not quite sure if it would be as strong if we hadn't gone through like. I know it wouldn't be as strong if we hadn't gone through the struggle of bringing life into the world, yeah. raising it, and all the tough times in between to try to make a relationship work. It's like, yeah, uh, I think I might have saw an interview with a guy from Tool who said like he works a job, you know, because he thinks artists should have jobs to have a perspective. But I, mm. I fully agree with that idea because for me, when I check into a hotel room at like two thirty in the morning on tour somewhere, and I'm I'm fucking you know been partying and doing whatever but i got it together enough to be the guy that's going in to check in and i look yeah. scary as shit and i smell and i got i'm looking at my iphone and then i see that the little the little kid who lives with a guy who's checking us in at the hotel and i just automatically snap into like what it's like to be a dad know that that kid's up at 2 a.m or whatever mm. and then immediately you're 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 friendly and you're cordial and you you're appreciative to this guy who had to wake up and drag his kid out like because this is his job and he's trying to provide for his kid and so you think of all those things and i swear to god if i didn't have that perspective i'd be just walking in there at two in the morning like yo can i get my hotel room key i'm trying to do i gotta be out of here at eight yeah you know and so uh or you're in the airport or or an airplane a baby's crying or something same thing yeah yeah Yeah, i mean we (laughs) my band is way worse than any crying baby on okay. an airplane. <laughs> and so I feel for people with, with, yeah, but that's exactly it. Or when you see a mom in the airport by herself with a kid, you know, or dad yeah. maybe, and they're carrying a bunch of shit and you just think for a minute, hey, you need a hand for, with that? And you like help them carry something for a minute and it's like weird. But it's not that weird to you. And then you turn around and everybody in your entire crew and band is like, yo, <laughs> did you just like carry that bag for that person you don't even <laughs> yeah. know them you're like well yeah but they got the kid and the stroller yeah. and all this shit so i just figured i'd and it's just like not something that might occur to people who have that like are you the only parent in the band uh that we know of okay yeah no yeah well, i'm the only parent in the band. Yeah, i'm the too. only dad in the band uh, me too me too uh, and i think too. i do do well with the uh the bachelor lifestyle dudes you know mm-hmm. and i do appreciate people who don't want to have kids yeah, and want to do yeah. their thing, you know? And I, yeah. and I think it, it is, you are, you are, you are a unique fucking dude to do what you do. You know what <laughs> I mean? I know that I'm special too in some way, but I do think it takes a unique personality to balance being a great father and trying to be a full-time musician, you know, and a, a full-time artist. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's hard. It is. And, yeah. and I think when you step into that headspace and you struggle with it and you achieve anything, you should, you should be proud of it, even though pride can be, can be dangerous, but I'm yeah. very thankful for, for fatherhood. I'm not going to have a bunch more kids or anything. 
one uh, and done. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm one and done. I was definitely nervous about the single kid thing because I thought, you know, the some of the single kids I've met on uh, tour were kind of like <laughs> real hoardy, couldn't share that well. Yeah, but yeah, now, yeah. <laughs> now I realize that was that was a generalization, man. And you know, it is what it is. But I am focused when I'm a dad. I'm attentive as much as I try to be, and uh, I'm trying to do as good of a job as I can. And I'm have stable in the relationship I'm in. So yeah. I think for me that's where I need to be. And yeah, interjecting another human being just doesn't feel responsible. <laughs> Cause yeah, I'm man. sort of like a calf kid too. Yeah, me too. We're all, cause we, we're musicians. We do, what we love, we get to travel yeah. and be big, big kids running around the fucking planet. Our wives hold it down for us. We're really lucky, man. I'm going to leave. Um, uh, unlike my brothers and sisters are going to leave a lot more human beings when they're gone. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave a lot of thoughts. Okay. And that's, that's my mission. Yeah. You know? I like that. I mean, I mean, I'm going to leave a beautiful human being. Sure. But yeah, uh, uh, some thoughts too. How long have you been with your old lady for now? Well, it's our 16th wedding anniversary. Damn. But I don't, you know, it would probably like me up in the 20s. Tw- it would sound a lot more impressive if I just said we've been together for 20 years. But yeah. I just, but you know, once you're married, you just got to go to that anniversary thing. So <laughs> we've been together for 16 And that's a lot. Just, just to be married and be in a band and the highs and lows of being in the band and the career and all the shit we go through and then bringing home to them or just all that. It's, it's we're just, so we're so lucky to have wives that like I don't just know, to have that. somebody that will let you grow. Yeah. Okay. When I met my wife, no tattoos. Damn. You know what I mean? When I met my wife, I was vegan straight edge. <laughs> You're like, damn. Was she too? Oh no. Okay. But that's I don't I don't I don't see my turn from the edge as necessarily a super negative thing because I wasn't I was the world's worst bike messaging vegan okay. diet wise. We're talking like pizza no cheese. That was it. You know, I didn't, I wish motherfuckers had been making zines about just eat vegetables. Yeah. You know what I mean? Don't worry about finding the Ives fake meat, man. Just make a bowl of goddamn. The Ives eat. Uh, yeah, you're right. But, uh, Good but I, I, I must say I am a meat eater. I will admit that openly, but I have been doing a lot more lately, uh, you know, to eat more veg, close to being solely vegetarian. Sick. You know, it's hard to unlearn habits that you, you know, don't enjoy or whatever. And, uh, especially I think a lot of my food habits are based around time, which is sad it's convenience. Yeah. Which is not good. And then balance because I did, wasn't, I had a lot of health issues when I was vegan, but they weren't from that was being so vegan. long ago though too. I know. But also I do think I've lived a healthier life because of that decade of veganism. Wow. You know, I do think that I've seen those, that re- re- repercussions. So, mm. uh, I, I think that, uh, one thing I tried, I know I'm around a lot of people who have different diet ideas, yeah, I mean, to- yourself included, to- but right. one thing I just like to try to stress is the idea that it's okay for someone who identifies as a meat eater, you can eat vegan. Yeah, you don't have course. to only identify as vegan to eat vegan like most of the time. Yeah, man. Now, course. and I know everybody's on this all or nothing tip, but my whole thing is Dude. like, just start with trying. Because if I could I just that. push the cart down the hill more. I mean, we're drinking water right now. I know. Proud we're not you. drinking Jack Daniels. Last time I saw it, those were beers in your hand. And they were Well, fucking... trust me, a little bit later, I'll have some beers. Yeah, it's about the balance. Whoever was on the tour and they're listening to this podcast, you, you were rocking every night, going to the crowd every night, loading in, loading out. But you always, you were pounding beers. Like, oh, don't have, tell me. What, no, <laughs> just kidding, dude. Well, have you, <laughs> have you chilled out since that? it's been? No. No, okay. What? What do you balance? Do, okay, we drink at home. Do you chill? Like, no, I don't drink at home. Yeah, that's why I do. Wait, wait, my wife will get pissed. I do. I just I don't keep bottles of Jack Daniels around or beer in the fridge. I mean, I have a studio, so bands. Oh, bring there we go. Stuff. Okay, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Um, I think my rule at home is this: like, 
I don't have a perpetual bottle of liquor around. In fact, there are many a times when I'll say to my wife, like, damn, I think I want to have a beer. Shit, I got to go to the store. I don't, I never, like, if yeah. I want to have something with dinner or something, you know. So I'm not, I, my father was an alcoholic. Okay. And, I, and he did struggle with that very openly. And wow. I witnessed that. So I am attuned to my uh, gene, like my ability to easily become an alcoholic when it comes to that. Yeah. But I don't really, like on tour, for me, it's a little bit more about medicine. You know, for me, it's make if I get a little bit of buzz, then it makes the sleeping in that bunk a little easier. Mm. You know what I mean? And I do like to feel loose and stuff, but I don't. You're fun though when you drink. You're not like you're not like a violent, angry. Uh, not that I saw. Oh yeah, no. I, I most of the time fun, I don't man. go to the dark side, but alcohol is dangerous, and anyone can no, end up in a bad place. And so I do try to yeah, have I'm not balance. Saying people should do it, but, but when you drink, you're fun. Yeah. If we're going to get into my habits, let's just say I'm a much bigger <laughs> fan of marijuana because I find it ah. makes me man- maintain things in a much more even pace. But when you're touring in Europe, it's just too problematic to find it all the time. So occasionally a bro has beer. He's yeah. in Bavaria. That's what they do. Yes. But uh, my wife actually has witnessed that entire arc, and I just use her mainly as my anchor because she has also known another Mike that existed that was very anxious, mm. really sad, in a tough place who, wow. who lacked the ability to relax okay. in any sense. So that was a death sentence I, in another way. I had shingles. Yeah. I have had shingles at a very That's young from stress, age right? from stress. And, yeah. uh, you know, I had a really hard time with my diet when I was a messenger. And uh, I was like, had to do these things like drink a peanut butter milkshakes. Oh my God, I can't even imagine. Really? Like now I'm like, dude, should I drink that? I mean, I'm trying to stay a little thin. But back in the day, the doctor's like, make a peanut butter milkshake and drink it every day because you are just losing weight. You know what I mean? So wow. uh, I think it's important f- for people to understand mental health is a totally global thing that affects people in so many different ways and even on micro levels, yeah. you know? And so for me, I feel like I'm in a much better place as an artist, as a human being. Uh, although I love I'm not uh, totally adhering from a strict diet of, of complete veganism and non-drinking and non-drug use, You're I have a balance, a balance and yeah. I coexist. And hopefully through the you know uh, attention of the doctors that I see on a regular basis and the fact that I do think that my wife, when I'm around her, she's a good influence food-wise, that hopefully I'll make it to an age that most Schleibon men haven't made it to, mm. you know? And hopefully I remain healthy enough to get out there and load and do shit. Is your part? And, and jump in the, in the, in the, in the fucking audience, man. And get yeah. wild. And get no, you were so man. much fun. I mean, I don't want to ever stop doing that shit. Me either, man. That's, that, that's why we're big, we're big kids in a sense too, because Dude. we do still. Seven seconds, like we, man. Exactly. Um, is your pop still around? No, he passed away. My father died from lung cancer. And how so old was I, he? Oh man. That's a good question. 60s? He's in his 60s. I want to see 64. Yeah. yeah, he was young. He battled with it. He he was in permission for like four years. So. Damn. But he he fought it like a champ, held his dignity the whole time. And man, he he it was so stupid. He fucking bugs bunned me. Bugs bunnied me, you know? What do you mean? I don't know. I maybe I didn't know how bad it was and shit. Cause I was just running around the world the whole time. I kept being like, well, dad, you know, do I need to, you know, be home, maybe take you to the treatments, help mom, whatever. Yeah. And he was just always like, get the fuck out of here, you know? And then when he was dying, I was on tour. I was Didn't on want tour. Don't worry about him, man. Yeah, I, I was in uh it, it's an amazing story. I'll tell you really quick because it's kind of funny. I was in Switzerland. We had this badass night man we played the sick ass club darkest hour is about to start the tour with the crown okay legendary swedish heavy metal band dude they're so fucking badass okay 
and uh, we partied it up. Now I'm vegan straight edge, so I go back to the uh, I go back to the hotel early. Right, the rest of the guys have an epic night of trading uh, drink tickets for cigarettes and partying with Damn. Swiss chicks, and just the whole day it was like an epic night, man. It never ended. But the driver who was straight edge, you know, because he's the driver, yeah, and from Czech and didn't speak English very well at all, went back to the bed with me, right. So he gets woken up by a phone call in the morning and uh, wakes everybody up. And uh, I'm the last one to get woken up. He gets the drunk guy. They're all still really drunk from okay. the end of the van. And I'm the last guy to come down there. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, he's like, uh, your, your, your wife called and uh, your dad is dead. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, really? Like, this is crazy. Just straightforward like, like that because there's no yeah, like, like, yeah. I'm like, can I, can, I, can I use your phone? Like, you know, so I take his phone and I, I call my wife back. You know, it was crazy. Like, oh, actually, Damn. I couldn't use his phone. We had to go to a pay phone. Wow. Because cause there weren't pay. We didn't have cell phones. So we went to a pay phone. I can't remember how he'd gotten called. It's possible that he had a phone, but we had to go to a pay phone to call her. But there was this like or landline or something. moment yeah, for a long time where he was just like dead. And I was like, whoa, like, whoa. And then I get to the phone and call her and she's like, no, he's not dead. He's dying. You just have to come home because oh. he's going to be dead. And the dude just like did not understand uh. her at all because he's from Czech. Yeah, of course. So this dude's like crying because he thinks he just told me my dad died. He had to do oh. it. So I had to come out and first I had to tell him like, hey, man, good news. He's not dead, but he's going to die. You got to get me to fucking Amsterdam because that's where we were able to change the ticket. So we drove 10 hours straight, man, just hauling ass. We watched oh. Dune, Dune the whole way. Which, you know. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we flew home, got to New York. I'll never forget, like, we got in through customs, and the guy, the custom guy looked at me like, like he's like, what's wrong with you? That's what he said to me. Normally they say, like, where have you been, whatever, and he just looked at me. He's like, what's wrong with you? I was like, oh, my dad's dying. We're all going home. Like, I just told him that it was, like, so random yeah. that I was, like, that honest with the border guy. And he just was like, stamped everybody stamped everybody you know and then we couldn't get on the flight to dc so we had to get on a flight to richmond and rent a car and drive to dc Jesus so i get Christ. to see my dad and i did i got to see him i got to talk to him for one last night got to hang out with him for another night and then he passed away in hospice so he had those two nights with him yeah. wow man yeah. and i got to see him say goodbye to his brother which was important you know man. so Sorry, yeah. i got to get in there but i think that was the way he wanted it you know, mm. he just didn't want me to hold up and worry life. and be bothered and feel like he's yeah. putting you out. And my mom's still uh, f fully never going to die. So she's just like, <laughs> and the funny thing about her is although she, uh, you know, and I basically our votes cancel each other out with anything that has to do with any kind of reality. She has, <laughs> done, she does some really special things. Like she volunteers at a, at a, at a jail and runs the Bible study there. Oh wow! She goes there like two times a week and, it's like her favorite thing to do and all of her friends it's are pretty these, amazing. It's so funny because it really shakes up your idea of what a Trumper's like. Okay. Because mm. uh, my mom was a Trump supporter and it's very disheartening, you know, mm -hmm. and it really fucked up a lot of shit, but it didn't fuck up that much shit because we were also used to just totally arguing about everything. Yeah. So actually we were at one with the chaos of those okay. the Trump years. But, um, you know, she also would do stuff that like a lot of my friends would never do like volunteering at that jail. Although yeah, yeah, she's running a fucking Bible study, which we can all argue about the legitimacy of the slavery of the thought of the Bible, blah, 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 blah. But still 
they got they ain't got shit to do. At least they got somewhere to go and this crazy old Sicilian lady to talk to about bullshit. Maybe that's helpful, you know. Mm-hmm. And at least she's trying. So, uh, yeah, uh, if, uh, her still being alive and still trying to do the right thing, even though I think we haven't seen eye to eye, is is I think special. So, although my dad's not here, it's like my family is loud. Yeah, you know what I mean. Were they together when he passed? Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's they never pretty got amazing. Divorced. Yeah. It's crazy. She was a nun, but he was an alcoholic. Oh yeah. Well, fix her upper. Mm. That's how they come. Gotcha. That's <laughs> how. Look. Imagine you're a woman. You get a. Uh. You know. You, you're a woman. You get um out of the nunnery or out of the convent. You come the down nunnery. to Washington D.C. You start going on blind dates. You don't want to go on too many dates. Yeah. This guy's pretty cool. Ah, he's a Vietnam vet. Ah, he's an alcoholic. Ah, fuck, we'll fix that shit up. No problem. Bam. Mm. We got a we got a husband. No problem. So wow. Did your dad ever come see you band play? No, my parents have never seen my band play. Neither of them? Any of your bands? They hate music. Not even WD forty? No. My oh, mom and my shit. mom, I think she feels some slight guilt for not ever coming to see any of my bands play ever. So she buys me a lot of painting supplies. Okay. <laughs> she loves my oil painting career. You're not the first person in the band to tell me their parents ever come to see him play. No. It's, it's crazy, though. Does that, that does that bother you at all or no? Did it ever bother you? Oh. Or are you over it? Yeah, but man, what great fuel. Mm. I wish I had. I, I, I'm glad I haven't had the perspective that I have now because it wouldn't have been such good fuel. But that was just. It's not anymore because I think I maybe worked through caring. But yeah. man, when I was younger, I mean, I don't care anymore. Now it's like, well, man. I'd, how the hell would I do that? Like, I'd have to get her own backstage. Like, she wouldn't be happy about anything. That was like, it wouldn't be any fun. Like, yeah. So true. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I don't know. From a parenting aspect, it's like, God damn it, man. Life's so short. Don't you want to see crazy, exceptional shit your kids do? do? But true. at the same time, like, what if it's the equivalent of like her going to see me like speak at a young Republicans rally or some shit? Mm. Like, I don't know what it means to her. So yeah, I don't, I don't fight it, but I definitely know that. My daughters internalized it as strange. Yeah, you know, because it, it is. Was it is my hair. And, and uh, I will say this: uh, my in-laws. Okay, this is a unique situation. My in-laws, uh, my wife's family, very supportive of, of the band. Have both her dad, who's no longer with us, but had before he passed away, seen the band multiple times. Sick. And same with her mom. And I think in a lot of ways that really was very healthy for my my family because the fact that. My wife's family was like, no, art is cool. My my wife's father was an architect, so he he they they appreciated art in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and they loved music in, in her family. Yeah, so like in a lot of ways, that gave validity to my life where it was hard for my mom to keep coming at me. But had they also not been supportive, you know, I could have been using that fuel for a long time. Totally. You know? Yeah, it's crazy. But you think your mom's seen videos of you, maybe? Or oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Who knows what she's seen? Um, <laughs> do you have any regrets in your life? Oh, God. Do we have enough time? Sure. Oh, shit. Oh, boy, some people, sure. Some, uh, people, some people say they don't. Oh, It's well. just all the life experiences. Okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay. Regrets. One. OzFest 2004. <laughs> Fuck, man. <laughs> Two things I regret, man. One, <laughs> not telling... Rob Halford, that he was a motherfucking badass for being openly gay and the lead singer of Judas Priest. I love this. I, I should have done that. I love this one. There, I had this. I had this. He he had to cancel his uh, meet and greets on the tour because he was just too much wildness. 
Okay. You know, I mean, also, he is like god of heavy metal, so maybe that had a little bit to do with it. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of people say stupid shit. You That's know? the most incredible regret I heard so far. So uh, I had this whole plan where I was going to tell Rob Halford, hey, you know what, man? The punks in DC, we got your fucking back, bro. Dope. Short, short it up, rainbow flag it up, fuck, come out on that bike, dude. Fucking leather rebel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I had a chance. Uh, I walked right by him in a Walmart parking lot. All the buses were parked right next to each oh, other. Made eye contact. And I just didn't. I did. but, Damn. You know, maybe it's a private thing. You don't. I don't. I, anyway. He's I, a big I, listener to the pod, so maybe here's a, uh, he's a big Rob, subscriber. <laughs> we love you, bro. And um, and the other thing I regret about Fest in 2004 was like such a great experience, and the band was just not ready. Mm. had we be you know i mean had we been the band we are today really man we could have i just regret not being able to totally uh nail it out of the park but you know when you fail you you learn and so it's possible i wouldn't be here without that failure but i really regret not being as good as i should have been then Mm. you know um and that i don't know i mean uh you a harsh critic of yourself and you're playing and everything not enough Mm. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm a realist. I mean, when you surround your people yourself with like Brian McTernan, it's hard to not fucking t- talk about the truth all the time. Yeah, you I was going to ask you an optimist and pessimist, but some people say realist as well. Mm, I'm definitely. I'm. Oh, fuck, my wife's gonna be like, You're, it depends. I guess it depends if how many <laughs> shots. I don't know. I, I, I it's so funny because I'm a Gemini. I'm okay. a true Gemini. Some people would say I'm the ultimate optimist, and other people hang around me say I'm a fucking negative ass dude. And it's hard to know why. And I also know I'm emotional. I'm yeah. emotionally reactive person as an yeah. artist. Yeah. And for the good and bad, you know, the fi- that fi- final will that makes you go fuck that. I'm going to tattoo this big Lebowski tattoo all over my shoulder is the same thing that, you know, makes you do shit, you know, that maybe you regret. So I just, I, mm. I, I, as an artist, sometimes you're very reactionary and extreme. And I, I don't know. I acknowledge that. You know what I mean? I think musicians you know, in general are sensitive and secure. Well, of course. I, I, I think sensitive is a strong trait. I think it's okay mm-hmm. to be sensitive. Me too. You know, I just think what you do with it matters. You know, because yeah. you don't need, you can't use being sensitive in a way to, to, to be aggressive in someone else in any way emotionally, and yeah. that is what I've I've been working on, and is probably a lifelong battle. You know. Yeah. So being like that, so your so your regrets is just pretty much Ozfest. You guys should have been I better. Just, I just sounded re- tighter. Yeah, I mean, I don't regret. Do I regret signing to Victory Records for a decade of my life? maybe slightly but there were so many give and takes you know what i mean yeah. i don't i don't regret going back to school that was one of the best decisions i made i That's don't don't regret sticking you know sticking in maryland staying in maryland you know raising a family there were you going to leave at some point i think every musician dreams about getting getting a sick path like toby in la and just <laughs> fucking becoming you know moving out of the boroughs yeah. moving on up but you know wherever you go you are so it's not like you can yeah, uh, everybody's yeah. got a, a pond to swim around. So, um, I I have become one with understanding that a lot of my, my slight failures have been to just get me to learn, you know, and yeah. have to just appreciate the now. And it's weird because I do have friends that who prescribe to the AA philosophy, you know. And although I've never, I haven't been in NA, I've been into a lot of NA classes and stuff because of my father. When I was a kid, I did a lot of Al-Anon, you know, so mm. I do, I do appreciate the viewpoint that is like, uh, you letting go of things you can't control 
and yeah, just I kind of being too. one with the with what the universe throws at you, what you can control is what you throw back kind of thing. And so I don't know. I love that too. I want to talk about Be Well, which I think is an incredible group, and Fuck yeah. all the music you're putting out is so good. It's got such a, um, I don't, it's got to embrace. It's got such a DC throwback, but also something new and, and and refreshing as well, like the sound and the style. I think it's, I'm excited. You guys are playing shows with us coming up in, in the end of the year and well, October, but I just love the project. Well, I appreciate your support. You are key to the birth of this story, okay? <laughs> because I'm going to explain to you why. Because I have been trying forever to get my good friend, Brian McTernan, who is a producer extraordinaire. Go ahead and Google him. He ran Salad Days Studios. Brian McTernan, he, what up? Uh, he was on your podcast. Yes, yeah, sweetheart. Uh, so let's just assume you all know who this hardcore legend is, okay? Yes. Well, regardless, Brian has been... He's been on the uh, sidelines for a bit, man. I'm not going to lie. He's been yeah. producing everybody else's awesome record. But I've always been like, you need to get out there and do your record for a really, really long time. Well, battery happened again. Yes. And we did that rev reunion. The wheels started turning. Oh, my God. I can be an old man and sing hardcore and not look embarrassed. I can do hardcore music maybe better than I ever did when I was a kid. Oh, my God. Right? And then the tour with H2O came up. The ultimate are you going <laughs> to fucking get, you know, are you going to go for it or not? And it came at the right time. And had that tour not happened, Be Well would have not happened, period. Wow. Because that tour was Brian learning again that he could do that. Mm. And it's so crazy because you and I saw how good he fucking was. They killed it. To think that that dude hadn't been on a stage in so long before he was able to say all that shit. If you yeah. make motherfuckers at a hardcore room cry Fact. with the shit you're saying, and they don't even speak English as their first language, that's pretty incredible. So 100%. I always incredible. knew his story, his personality, and him as a frontman and battery was special and unique to hardcore, and his passion for music was unbridled. Yeah. I had no idea how good Be Well was going to be. I'm, I'm, I had no idea how good it could be. I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that type of shit because you know, it's so different in Darkest Hour because Brian is like the nucleus explosion of a Be Well song. Yeah. Okay. And I definitely am there. I'm, but, but you have to understand how songwriting teams work to understand what it means to push and pull and where to be. You yeah. know, mm -hmm. I mean, L, uh, so w what I'm getting at is we have been trying to do this idea, but then we were able to play those shows and do well. And then we sort of dabbled for a minute to trying to make a battery record, mm. but, while it, while I do there, while while there are four or five battery songs that exist out there mm. that never got released or whatever, uh, it just really, it didn't feel like it was a place for Brian to really stretch what he did, man. Mm -hmm. So as that was happening, and then also as you see, like I meant, like battery is a specific kind of formula where like Ken is super involved, and, and in some ways, you it's hard to run over that. Right. Yeah. So it's almost like they couldn't coexist. But now Brian had this fire born on the H2O show tour. Where would it go? And that is when it was new music. And then once he was unbridled with the thought of himself and that battery only the Die Hard Remain cover. And, and then he realized he could write songs about being a dad yeah. or where he was at now in his head and where he had been that whole time love it and and you so what's so fucked up about this record the 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 weight and the cost that be well made is that it it took that record for me to understand what one of my closest friends was going through because wow 
for me, I had no idea what depression was because I don't suffer from depression. I suffer from anxiety. Okay. They're totally different, right? Yeah. Because uh, anxiety looks like it is to me, okay? When someone's anxious, it's obvious most yeah. of the time. Most of the time. I, I don't want to say I don't want to say everybody that's anxious is out, but most of the time. Depression is hard because people can be super successful and be depressed, and it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And Brian is super successful. He's a great dad, great businessman, killer songwriter, yeah. uh, genius. Like, he didn't graduate from high school, and he got a killer job working on roofs and doing that's roofs. Right. That's right. All this home renovation shit. He helped <laughs> yeah. renovate my house, renovated tons of houses. I mean, what does this guy have to be upset about at all? <laughs> Yeah. But that's not the way depression works. It's and you not, know, the, when he wrote that stuff uh, and I read it and I reflected on it, it was crazy because I realized Heavy, like man. I had been living in this bubble where like maybe I didn't want to see it because it meant like acknowledging it and like, mm. like I was kind of part of the, the part of it, just not being able to like really see how hard of a time he was having. But at the same time, I must admit, I fucking told you so. Because I was there the whole time when he was bottling up who he was, this songwriter, this singer, this person, mm. putting it away after he didn't want to do the studio anymore for a minute. That's and right. I was there being like, fuck that. You can't do that. So when he was unhappy, the only thing he got reflected back from me was like, well, dude, you're pissed off because you're not doing music. I don't care what you say about your house, your car, your shit. Just go write a song. I know you don't want to record other people's bands. Do your fucking own, you know? Wow. And... So the weight in the cost was born and the band was born because out of nowhere comes Aaron from Bain, yep. right? And his enthusiasm, his excitement, he just moved to the area. Yeah. Just like an adrenaline shot. You know, we added Peter and Shane who are both in Fairweather who are tight, longtime friends of mine. So the culture of the band is positive. Yeah. Older dudes, everybody's a dad. That's amazing. Everyone's a dad. That. So now everybody knows uh, about what it's like all and that. everyone can relate to why Brian's going to want to put that energy. And we are, you know, dad core. We're yeah, dads. Yeah. They play hardcore, you it's know. Emotional roller coaster. But man. to be able to do that with a new band in our age and not have it be about like how we look or anything, but just literally be about the content of what the songs and what Brian's yeah. going through is special. So uh, is. The, the weight and the cost is out on Equal Vision. And I'm going to just drop some brand new news. Ain't nobody just told anywhere it. else. But Be Well has a brand new five-song EP that's going to come out on Revelation Records and End Hit Records later. Uh, possibly the top end of next year because we have a bunch of touring. A bunch of awesome touring. I can't even believe this shit that is cooked up for the band. That I'm not allowed <laughs> to say because motherfuckers are going to get pissed about that. Yeah. But I can't believe... I can believe because I told people Be Well was going to do well. Yeah. But I'm very excited because... What the gift that comes back from me for having that amount of passion to believe in it, yeah, is that I will now get to see that journey happen right there from the stage. That's my payback, yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. And I and I want to end on the be well or not end on the be well, but to add to the be well thing that the reason that I was like that, you got to get out here and do your band, you cannot give on this. This is who you are, was not because I was just a fan of. Milltown, Battery, and yep. all that shit. It was because I had done three records with Brian where he gave his heart and soul to my records. Mm. Like, uh, in a way that no producer ever has. Like, made every problem his problem, made everything as most important to him, made, fought as hard as he could to make those records good. Like, 
when someone does that for you, you have this like thing in the back of your head that's like uh, the, almost like they pulled you out of a trench in the middle of a war right before a grenade was going to go off. And yeah. you're like, I fucking owe. And it's not like a, I owe because, you know, I owe. Yeah. It's like a burning desire to pay back, mm. you know? And so ever since the Mark of the Judas... Ever since So Sedated, So Secure. Ever since every album where someone told me to quit and give up, and then I fought back, and everything made sense to quit and give up. And even in times when Brian was like, maybe this is stupid, maybe you should give up, allowing me that permission structure to just say, no, I'm not going to do it, and yeah. just still let, you know, put down the sword and mm-hmm. let me continue to maybe make a mistake or whatever. Like that passion went reflected back in him. That's the poetry of punk and hardcore yeah, and music I agree. right there. Like to be able to want something so badly that you create it and by force make a relationship that then you feel unbridled passion to then amplify some other way is like, you know, that's what it's all about, period. Yeah, man. And so it's beautiful. You can't help that that spirit being encapsulated in a band isn't going to be special. So I yeah. can't wait to see what he's going to do. Me too. With, with, with where he's going. Uh, I know all the so I've got a, I've got the entire thing on my phone, so I know that it's amazing. Okay. But I'm saying what I, what I mean by I can't wait to see where Brian's going to go is where these albums keep going. Because mm-hmm. the one thing about him is that's the thing he does great is write music. Yeah, man. And he incredible. has a lot to say. So, and, and he we're does. here as a team to be there for him, you know? And so did you record those songs during 2020? Yes. Uh, so we recorded, mm. uh, the music really recently at Jay Robbins studio. Oh, nice. In uh, in uh, Baltimore. Box? Yep. Sick. And it was super cool. And what we, what we did what was, we never did anything like this, but it's so cool. It was, a, it was like where I finally learned how drafts work with music, where, mm. uh, Brian, uh, a lot of new school kids like myself, metalheads, we write a lot of demos and music on computers. I okay. mentioned that earlier. Yeah. And you demo shit and you send everybody in the band this amazing sounding demo that sounds perfect. And the yeah. singer puts some vocals over it. Now you got a demo. You can send that shit to the record label and even get paid from it. No one in the band even knows how the song goes, but you made a demo. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, Brian's so good at recording and stuff. He makes demo, 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 demo. And what we started doing is peeling the way the layers of the demo and we actually tracked the drums of the album to the guitars from the demo. Gotcha. And then we peeled away the guitars and redid the guitars and redid the bass. And then he even used a lot of the vocals from the demo because like both both what voice things and uh yeah shout out to sammy from revelation who's been doing an amazing job yes what up sammy uh, uh for like sort of negotiate not that everybody is great friends with jordan and he's been a longtime supporter of all the music brian's done you know and i always have had love for revelation even though uh i'd never been signed to the label yeah. until now technically i mean they're legendary legendary and so uh sammy's had just like a great influence on the entire process and also oisey from end hits records too okay like uh, in an age where I'm not quite sure if record labels matter anymore, these these labels and these people have really been crucial to shaping this specific like EP. Yeah, it's so good, and it says everything it needs to in such a great, concise way. And it wouldn't be that way without Sammy and Oisey. Yeah, and so I just can't wait to see where that team's gonna go. And there's something about that little Rev star on the back. It's incre- man. Yeah, I mean, plus Sammy's been on the label; he has many releases. Well. Heart legend legend so it's I mean, like I, I think sammy working for revelation is incredible he is killing it i'm stoked for him 
And there's so much cool things that's coming out from Revelation since he's been there. You know what I mean? Like, can we just talk about fresh. how sick Revelation? I mean, okay, there ain't that many labels left, mm-hmm. and they're putting out hardcore. Yeah, and it does. Awesome. They don't even put out bullshit, really. Yeah, no, it's for, you know? for yeah. They just put out like good ass shit. Yeah, Equal Vision as well. Shout out to Equal Vision. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, Steve uh, Reddy, let, love Steve. Uh, Reddy. Honestly, Steve, uh, Equal Vision, uh, Rev are probably the two. Right up there. I mean, I love Bridge Nine also. Hey, Chris and Bridge I, Nine, what up? Uh, and yeah. I also think that Death Wish does a great job of putting yes. out cool stuff, although they, they're a little bit more spastic in the style that they're putting out, you know? All of those labels, it's so cool that they exist because I do, as a guy who's kind of moved to the DIY mm-hmm. Patreon thing with my other bands, I do appreciate that there's something to be said for cultures around music, yeah. and labels help that. You know? 100%, yeah. You know, like Discord has sound. You know, and and that's special. So I'm not all for the destruction of the entire system. I just want the people in charge to have responsibility, like at Rev, like at EVR, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like at Bridge Nine, like at Death yeah. places where people, like at N Hits, you know, places where people matter. You know, I don't need a record label to be a place where people just want to have a job in the industry. Yeah, yeah I know what you're saying. Because get the fuck out. We need, this we passion in all those places because they're all like, DIY started from hardcore kids in the scene. You know what I mean? Like they just like they know want to be remembered. They want to put out great art, and they've been in bands themselves, and they've been around it and grew up on it, and it's their passion. So I think it's perfect for you guys. Yeah, man. Um, it's exciting. I'm excited to hear the new people well stuff, man. This is great well, news. I wish I could just play a little clip right here on the old <laughs> podcast, but unfortunately, uh, I don't know. I have a lot of new music coming out next year. Darkest Hour has a new album too. Okay, um, working on that. That should be out in the fall of next year. Uh, we've been putting out live records, all sorts of seven inches on our Patreon. And yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that. Patreon. You break that down for the listeners because a couple oh. of people have talked about it on there, and I've been told a bunch of times I should try to do it. But yes, do you love being on Patreon? Yeah. Hey, everybody, blow up Toby. Get him <laughs> to do a Patreon. Okay, here's why it's cool. Here, here's the thing. Money. Yeah. Okay. But I've done a lot of crowdfunding okay? okay i did a record that was crowdfunded on indiegogo with okay. darkest hour we crowdfunded 80 grand wow okay and i've been running a patreon patreon is the absolute perfect form of give and take for internet content okay. for creatives and i'm going to tell you why tell me i love the total way that this is not a fan club this isn't some bullshit the band runs the messaging the band does all the posting and we don't even have that many Patreons. Darkest Hour has like 350, 400. Mm-hmm. It, it, it rotates. But with that money, with that monthly money, we've been able to not only make continuously cool, unique vinyl releases, which, by the way, all these Patreons got exclusive 500 only presses of. So okay. they, are, they are getting down the line, discogs, whatever. They can sell that shit for whatever they want. I mean, they're investing, you know? Okay. So we're putting out limited records. We're we're basically owning the catalog as we're doing that of those because we've funded those. On top of that, we're funding album 10. So we have now written and recorded a demo sketch of the entire record, Darkest Hour, for the first time in our career with no input from a record label at all. Wow. Even the Mark of the Judas had input from a record. This is just dudes in a band, took their money, went to a recording studio, recorded their own record. It sounds badass, but they have... 10 records so they might have to do it again to make it sound badass badass but you know what i mean like that is all because of our patreons on top of that you're talking about a band that was struggling with debt darkest hour is is, we're not uh, ashamed to admit that we've tried to shoot the moon a lot of times and we've been a band for 26 years we have debt 
Okay. We're paying it down. Over a pandemic, when we couldn't play live shows anymore, these 350 to 400 rotating Patreons have solely saved the trajectory of our band. It doesn't take that many people. Wow, okay. You know, what would, if we hadn't started the Patreon before the pandemic, I don't know how we would have adjusted, but since it was there and since the, I don't want to call them fans. I want to call them friends, but yep. the subscribers are there and they are supportive. We, uh, on top of those records, we did wall flags. We never did those four foot wall flags of all okay. the record covers. We did uh, a cool sticker set that we got coming out of all of our tattoos as stickers, like That's all sick. of our cool band tattoos. Um, we did a cool limited t-shirt that nobody has with the Patreons, okay. you know, and also on top of that, we've built a rapport. We have your mailing address, your email. So when we do the next record, you're going to get a straight from darkest hour autograph cool. record. Now, uh, would Patreon work for be well, that's a little bit harder because they're not, haven't been a man for 26 years and they might not have all this content because mm. we're giving out people also unreleased demos of songs that we did. Wow, you know? okay. And here's the thing that we used to be embarrassed as fuck to do that. You know, that's like seeing us naked, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> which we're actually not that embarrassed of. So we'll do, but uh, maybe that's like seeing us, uh, doing our taxes, something we'd be embarrassed. Yeah. About. Something. Uh, you know, uh, so we, we, but now we have a form of where a safe place where we can say, here's a demo of the song enter Sandman. Yeah. You all can jam it or you can download it. You don't have to buy it. It's just part of your subscription. Hey, here's a live video of us playing Walkin' 2004. You know? Yeah. Like, and instead of the white noise of social media, of all the bullshit, yeah. you know, you go here and you get what you need. And so for me, if Toby did a Patreon, it would be so awesome because if I could just give you money to for you to set the world afire and do awesome shit and I could get back from it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, that's why I'm listening to your podcast, man. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and I and, and, and you work so hard, like you work so hard with your DIY store. I mean, you're such yeah. a uh, 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 you know inspiration you know to me because when, before this shit, like I was doing a DIY mail order thing for Just my house, it, yeah. and when you post your pictures of your doing a mail about doing your thing, and you told me about walking down the post office and do, I do all that shit, but you made me feel legitimize because i know that you're real and you, i man. know that i'm trying to be real but when i see a real ass person putting in the work and know that when you get your pma fucking uh h2o shirt that came from the dude it didn't come from some fucking web store or no. some other dude you Thank are you. in touch it's really real and yeah. i mean nothing matters anymore you can buy anything on amazon anything on walmart the only thing that matters is where did this come from and yeah. why you yeah. know and so uh, that's what I love about Patreon, and I think someone like yourself who basically gives this content away for everyone, know. we are happy as fans to give you this thing called money so that you really can do whatever you need to do because we want you to continue. And that, and the funny thing is I belong to one Patreon yeah. that isn't mine. His name is Ben Eller, and it's a guitar Patreon. Kay. He does tabs and videos and stuff. And I have never unsubscribed from that Patreon. When I did subscribe, I thought, I'm going to subscribe for a month, look at his tiers, figure out his language, watch his video, copy all that shit down, and I'll unsubscribe. Mm. But then something happened. I fell in love with it. And now every month I'm charged, I don't feel like, oh, man, 10 bucks. I need that. I think, yeah, fuck, fuck yeah. I'm helping Ben do his goddamn thing. 
I don't want Ben to go work at Guitar Center. I don't want him to work at work mm-hmm. at Applebee's. I want him to make sick ass guitar content. So when I got a Sunday and nothing to do, I can go learn, you know, the White Lion solo that I always wanted to learn or the Rat <laughs> solo. So I just think yeah. uh, I'm, this I'm thinking is a about cool it. thing for creatives. And you know, maybe uh, put a live record on. They put a bunch. Of H- oh my yeah. God! Think think about this, people. Exclusive live record you can only get from a man. You know what I mean? On the Patreon, and people love, but cool with that. Yeah, yeah. And it takes some time. It takes months to get a record done. Okay. Okay. Well, you make your tier ten dollars, and yeah, some people end up paying like forty dollars for a seven inch, which is more. But they also get the experience, the content. It isn't just about items mm-hmm. and stuff. It's yeah. about interacting, and you build that relationship. And the thing is, you've already done it, you know. And it's just a matter of connecting the dots because people love to support what you're doing when it's yeah. positive, you know. Yeah. And uh, I've thought about. It. I thought maybe H two O. We have like a. Uh, Recorded the live stream from our garage. We haven't released it yet. It's all mixed and all done. We can just put that on there. Yeah. Kind of yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of other things. Uh, we're also, we also have a big cartel store. Okay. So I don't know if anyone's put familiar with big there. cartel, but yeah. big cartel lets you have five items for free. It's super supportive of artists. I'm on there. And yeah. I, I have a personal big cartel store where I sell my paintings and my art that I make. And then I have a, a darkest hour one and be well has a little DIY hidden big cartel. Mm. We do big cartel dot uh or be well dot big cartel or be well hc dot big cartel dot com okay is the hidden be well where i throw up random old tour shirts and random stuff really you know? yeah okay. and it's just uh it's cool man i put little hand notes with stuff i send out to people and you know and it's sort of as an extension of the ask the dude thing in a weird way because okay. you do start to get man it's so weird when you start to know everybody's address you go like, oh, this dude always orders shit. I'm gonna yeah, throw, yeah. I'm gonna oh, throw a that. fucked up cat sticker in for him. And draw. I do that too, but stickers <laughs> in, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah and I awesome. mean, yeah, dude, that's just that's that's just magic. So I I I understand why other people don't want to live on the internet. Why they wouldn't want to do a subscription service for everything, and it's not for everybody. No, no hate, but you know. Uh, but it's saving bands. It's helping bands so much, especially during the pandemic. I was and reading a lot about it. Yeah, man. and money is important. Like if you only spend money at Starbucks. You know, that's a bad thing. So this is a DIY business. Mm-hmm. H2O is is a DIY business. Yes. And it's important for people to know that. Pull the curtain back and say every dollar counts. Yeah. Right now, you're listening to this podcast. Go buy an H2O shirt. Do it. <laughs> Do it. Rusty needs it. You or, know what I mean? <laughs> Todd, they, need, they don't need need it. They just need it because we need them. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And that is what people need to hear because, uh, you know, it's just like, this amazing story I heard from Chris Caraba, which I don't want to fucking torture, but he said something, Chris, don't kill me, but it's so endearing about dashboard playing a show and H2O wearing dashboard shirts and them having one of the best merch nights of their life. That's the thing that happened, right? Yeah. I remember that. And yeah. I just think you that's, told a, me about that. that's a poetic, uh, look into like the fact that like, just the, support the bands yeah. that you like. You know I love I that, mean? man. Yeah, bootstraps. We sing about it. Like, yeah, look, pull up the uh, other bands. You know what I mean? Yeah. Look out for and, each other. I mean, how many Metallica shirts? I mean, I love Metallica. Don't get me wrong. How many do you need? How many Slayer <laughs> shirts? Man, maybe you need that H2O shirt. You definitely I've been thinking paper. about it because I don't film these podcasts. It's audio only. People have been asking me to film. I could have exclusive video yeah. versions of this on my Patreon, right? Something like yeah, that. Everything. It's all stuff you can't already Video, get. pictures, yeah. and they all is like a private link and all through done through the site. So if we put a release a live record, nobody could hear it except for Patreon. 
as long as it was not digitally released, then you you still have to kind of like we still have to go police the YouTube every once in a while and pull mm, down stuff because people okay. are kind of jerks. But uh, yes, technically, yeah. And okay. you can also guard, you know, obviously the Orchard music finds a way to make sure everybody can't post anything on anything. So you can mm. do that too. Okay. You know, it just takes a little bit more work. But once you have a thousands of subscribers, you just pay for a little help. Wow. It's cr- I'm going to talk to off the press. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. Everybody, Joss has been telling me about that for months. Dude. Well, Joss is like the ultimate. I yeah. mean, dude, sometimes when Joss stop, talks about stuff, it's sort of hard to follow because, you know, he's like 10 steps ahead of everybody and you're just like, dude, I'm not ready. But I do think one thing that Jamie has been on since day one is the entrepreneurialism, you know, sort of that exists in hip hop, sort of really brought that into hardcore in a way. I hadn't seen mm. a lot of people do that, you know, and I and I respect him I respect for that. respect him so much. Yeah, yeah. He works yeah. hard. Man. I think he was influenced by the, that culture, you know, being from New Haven, that area and everything. Just the entrepreneurialism of uh, he was also a promoter. So totally booking shows, all that. Yeah. He knows the front side behind the scenes of all the industry. And that's what it takes to survive up in this thing for that long. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here, man. I think we covered it. Let me make sure all my notes. Oh, my God. I hope you didn't yeah. bore you people. No, you fucking killed it. It was wonderful. I'm Go. Just, I'm excited for the world to hear this. Um, make sure I covered all your bands, all your stuff. You know, when you go CH2O, you got to give Rusty that hug. Make sure you, when you see Rusty. Give Rusty a big hug. Rusty! Do you have any top five favorite artists? Mm. Inspirational artists? Uh, well, I already said H2O. So Come on. Oh, uh, you know, top five inspirational artists of all time? I mean, damn. It's hard, man. Uh, okay, I, I was thinking about this. Uh, one thing, I just, I mean, just, I don't, uh, maybe I can just say my top five New York hardcore bands. Oh, shit, get it. Okay, I'm going to say H2O. Thank okay, you. whatever, I'll throw you guys in there. Uh, I also love Murphy's Law. Great. Okay, totally, ch- dude, that song, Fun. You gotta have fun. fun. Dude, just changed my whole outlook on like what New York hardcore could mm. be because I wasn't uh, gravitated so much to the heavy stuff. Then, sick of it all. Dude, awesome. I mean, you're wearing the shirt. Yes, dude, sir. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Um, then it gets like a little bit more murky because then you kind of then it's then I come right running. But yeah, well I know because I love Madball, but it was like later till I started to respect like what. Okay, can I say Crown of Thorns without getting in trouble? Why Crown of Thorns are sick? <laughs> I just like dude. Crown of Thorns are <laughs> fucking awesome. Like Isaac terrified yeah. me when I was a kid in a way that I loved it. So I don't know. Does that does that? <laughs> Shout uh, to Isaac. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so Crown of Thorns is great, great, man. Dude, training our blues. <laughs> All right, so last one. I, might be my most favorite, but it's gonna be kind of embarrassing. But look, Biohazard, dude, dude, respect. Listen, I ain't. I'm respect, just gonna bro. say. I know if you're from New York, there's a lot of other more like there's a lineage that you. Yeah, have. but that makes Should've sense. Should have said for you token because, entry because you're something. metal. You're a crossover too, in a sense. Well, oh too. my god, Urban Discipline, State edge. of the World Address. Like I don't know. And the thing is, again, there was an element. I wasn't from New York City. Yeah. I was thinking about this. Uh, I, I was from a very suburban sheltered area and New York hardcore kind of taught me that it was that the, that the world that I had grown up in was kind of sheltered, you know, and that there were other perspectives that were a lot rougher around the edges than mine, but might've been more real because they were in tune with actually interacting with people that were different. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of ideas built in academia and, uh, really, uh, highfalutin high school a leftist education gotcha but not a lot of experience with people from different cultures in the same way that motherfuckers who live in new york city do totally so hardcore taught me especially new york hardcore taught me that like you know there is something to be said for the 
poetic beauty of simple living with people and understanding mm. differences. And, you know, it's kind of like, I don't see, all, I don't see any color, you know, but it's like now we're supposed to celebrate differences. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think what I kind of learned was that, you know, these the mad ball seems so tough. I mean, crown of thorns seems so insane. Fucking 25 to life. is crazy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But those shows were positive and H2O was kind of that, clinching thing because it was the first band from new york that was accepted by ever to me okay not saying this yeah, to, yeah. to me in in my little worldview that was accepting of the idea that it was f- like fun and i know murphy's law did that but yeah. i found h2o first you know yeah so this was like my band that was like oh look they are just as hardcore as everybody else but this song's about friends yeah you know this lyrics are personal there's nothing about beating anyone up mm-hmm. exactly. in this. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh my God, this could be like a DC band. And in a way you guys were, and that was that, I didn't know that, you know mm. what I mean? You guys were totally inspired by that for sure. Yeah. So I didn't mean to drag this podcast any longer. No, I love this. This is five. great, man. I love catching up with you. We didn't get to catch up like this on that tour. The tour is so wild. Now it's like just you and me in my kitchen. Hey, man. Well, it was I appreciate great. I learned that so time. much about you today, man. I appreciate your friendship and I appreciate you having me on here. Everybody, Stoked su- to have you support on Toby. This podcast is po- is very important because I do a lot of media, a lot of interviews. I-, I told him before this started that I feel like my story is slightly oversaturated, but I do think that good interviewers bring out good things. Thank you. you know, good stories. And, so. and you wrote for Pulse Magazine? Uh, Pulp Magazine. Pulp Magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Pulse sounds better, uh, but Pulp, Pulp Magazine. Yeah. Uh, in the Philippines, I did for, and and it was I actually wrote about like cultural issues, cultural issues and heavy metal in a, wow in one of the widely distributed Filipino heavy metal magazines. Okay, and that was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for being here. And now people can find you on the gram and everywhere else. Right, it's under your name. What's your name on there? Okay, on the on the on the Instagram, I'm a little uh you know a little incognito. I'm, little I'm, I'm the riff. I'm, oh, I'm the at the Rift, the Rift Dojo. Rift Dojo. I'm at the Rift Dojo on Instagram. Yeah, it's a little hard to find, but it's supposed to be. If you don't know, you weren't meant to. That's okay. where I'm at. I'm a real person. <laughs> I also do most of the Darkest Hour posting. I'm also very active on the Be Well Instagram. And, mm. you know, you can find me on Facebook if you dare to be on there. But the thing I want to tell anybody is you ever see me, say what's up. I don't give a fuck. I'm all about it. I'm not. Really I'm are, a man. close talker. You are. I don't give a <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? I'm not that guy that's going to be mad that you interrupted me in the middle of dinner. I yeah. live to out enthusiasm people that are enthusiastic. So I love that about you, man. I If you see me on the streets, holler at your boy. I'll leave you with that. <laughs> I wish it was Ask the Dude page, too. Damn, that's yeah. such a great... Now, you got to so, ask the dude real life, bro. Uh, no, that's such a great concept, though. Well, I hope yeah, that happens someday. Maybe one day we will turn this into a, a heavy metal uh, mental health uh, trifecta, if you will. But till now, all you get is the music and kicking it with the dude in person if you can find him. And I'm stoked to see uh, Play With Be Well in October in New York and New Jersey. It's oh, shit. Are we telling everybody we're doing yeah, that? Yeah, that's whatever. October. Oh, we're gonna, huh, yeah, huh. the show's from last year. got moved to this year. And Be Well is on all the shows with us. So. Yeah, let's do I'm, I'm excited and hopefully more shows than that too we gotta oh, figure that out yeah oh, hey man put it put us in coach got you yeah. thanks for listening everybody metal mike peace i'm out hey y'all liquid death's been so kind to give me a promo code so for your first purchase on liquiddeath.com go to liquiddeath.com slash oloc and you get a free set of koozies with your first purchase of h2o still or sparkling uh if not you could try it also at whole foods or 7-eleven 
Use the promo code OLOC for your first purchase of Liquid Death. Thank you, Liquid Death, for your support. Appreciate you so much. Murder your thirst. H2O saves lives, y'all.